this is Heartstock Radio, and I'm your host, Carol Murphy. Clark Grant is in the studio. Uh, we just want to say thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Today, our guest is Tyla Abbott, and she is the founder of Aether Beauty. In just a moment, she is going to tell us all about what she is up to. And in the meantime, also remember that you can find us on Facebook. You can also email us at heartstockradio at gmail.com. Just a moment. Tyler will be with us. This is Heartstock. Thanks for listening. As I went walking that ribbon of highway, I saw a This is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy, and today our guest is Tyla Abbott. She is the founder of Aether Beauty. Hi, Tyla. Hi, how are you? Oh, we're doing great. Have a beautiful sunny day. We were just talking about this. You're located there in Tucson now, and I bet it's a beautiful day there too. Yes, it's the high desert, and we just absolutely love it. Indeedy, and those beautiful Sororo cactuses. Just can't exactly. We actually had a double rainbow yesterday after it rained, and it was just gorgeous. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being our guest on Heartstock. And you've made a big leap here as you were a previous executive at Sephora. Is that right? Correct. Yes. I used to be the head of product development for Sephora and then became their head of research and development for sustainability before I left to launch Aether Beauty. So give our listeners a little intro here. What are you doing at Aether? And uh, you got some exciting stuff going on there. Yeah, so Aether Beauty is the next generation of clean beauty. So it's all sustainable makeup. That's made with crystals. It's fully recyclable. It's vegan, cruelty-free. It's child labor-free. It's forced labor-free. And then we offer carbon-neutral shipping. We're a benefit corporation. And we partner with 1% for the planet. So lots of good things. Yes. And we're going to talk a lot more about that. But first, can you share a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and how all of that led to you working at Sephora? Sure. So I grew up in New Jersey and I came out to San Francisco about 16 years ago to get my master's. So I have a double master's degree in fashion design and knitwear design. And I actually worked in the fashion design world for about five years before I transitioned to beauty. And what's interesting is that I used to travel once every two months to China to deal with fittings, to deal with factories. And I worked for a very small company at the time with low minimum orders. And so we were working with factories that would fulfill those. And it was way before iPhones, way before any of that. And I would go all over. And, you know, I was very young at the time, very new in my career and saw a lot of things that I wish I could unsee. I saw a lot of child labor, saw a lot of pollution, saw a lot of forced labor, and it really stuck with me. And I was very unempowered at the time to inflict change within the owner and within the company. Um, But it really 
stuck with me to really understand, you know, a product life cycle, who makes your product, the wages people make, and all of that. Transition to my job at Sephora. So I left fashion and transitioned to beauty through accessories. So I came on board at Sephora in charge of all their makeup accessories from makeup brushes to eyelash curlers to makeup bags and sort of everything in between. And then I got um, sort of thrown into makeup formulation, which I absolutely loved. And I became their head of collaborations. Anytime there was a makeup collaboration with a brand plus Sephora, like Pantone to Museum of Ice Cream to Moschino, that was under my belt. And then I just started to have a disconnect with formulating conventional cosmetics and living a wellness sort of organic lifestyle. So I've been a vegetarian for over 27 years. I worked as an organic cook in college and was pronouncing quinoa correctly before anyone knew what the heck it was. (laughs) I got an organic couch made because I'm terrified of fire retardant. So sort of to make myself feel better because I absolutely loved my job. You know, Sephora was ideating their sort of sustainability team. And so I volunteered there on top of my day-to-day role, became their head of research and development for sustainability for the entire retailer. And I went to sustainable cosmetic conferences and really sort of learned the ins and outs on how bad the packaging piece is in the industry. So the EPA reported that a third of our landfill waste is coming from the beauty industry. And then at the same time, Sephora was ideating their clean category and the buyers brought me in as they knew how obsessed I was with this category when all these brands were coming to present as options to bring in for Sephora. And I had never been so bored at meetings at Sephora. So you're used to seeing formula innovation and colors and trends and the space is about 10 years behind conventional makeup. And I am a Sephora girl. I love Urban Decay. I love Pat McGrath. I love Natasha Denona. And it was very boring and vanilla for me. And I knew I could formulate better. And at the same time, I was looking at these brands and I'm like, no one's tackling the sustainability issue. No one's talking about ethical sourcing. Nobody's really, you know, addressing these huge red flags in the industry. And so I left in April 2018. I launched Aether Beauty in June to sort of, you know, be a solve for the beauty industry and be a leader when it comes to making the right choices and being an ethical beauty brand. I'm completely self-funded. I took out a second mortgage to do this, which is how I did it. But I've built it into a multi-million dollar brand and very, very proud of doing so. And you said you grew up in New Jersey. Is that right? I did. Yes. So at what point did you become um, an eco gal? Was it the experience that you had in China or... Were you oriented in that direction even before you were exposed to what was going on over there? Oh, yeah. I became a vegetarian when I was 14. And that really sort of opened up my mind to the whole food side of things and really got me into understanding organic and understanding farming and just understanding sort of how our infrastructure sort of worked and had curiosity about that. 
And then when I transitioned to my career in fashion, you know, understanding how products are made and understanding who's touching them and who's in charge. And, you know, people in China, workers make an average of $300 a month, which equates to less than a dollar an hour. And they're working 60 to 80 hour weeks without being able to really leave facilities. So people don't really understand what goes on when they purchase products and sort of everyone that touches the products from the raw ingredients to the packaging and who's putting it together. So can you give us a, a just a, a brief history of Aether Beauty from uh, launch to where you are now? Was it, did it just kind of evolve over time or did you have a clear path in mind from the get-go? Um, being an entrepreneur, there's like daily ups and downs of things that happen. So when I first launched, I launched with one product which was the Rose Quartz uh, Crystal Gemstone Palette. So it's an eyeshadow palette. Um, And it was the first fully recyclable zero waste palette in the industry. So I won um, a few awards for that. And it got a lot of industry people excited and a lot of press. So I sort of naively thought I would just be a direct-to-consumer brand but I didn't have enough money for that. And I didn't realize how much money it would take to really build a brand that way. And then I quickly realized that I had a few retail connections from Sephora and from Credo Beauty, both in San Francisco. And so I was able to launch the brand with them. And from that, the brand sort of exploded. The brand today has about 12 different SKUs from eyeshadow palettes to highlighters to skin liquid oil highlighters like glow oils and many more to come. And the brand is sold over 90 different retailers in the U.S., Canada, Europe, and Australia, New Zealand, as well as our own direct-to-consumer. So I knew nothing about social media. And when you are, you know, champagne taste beer budget, I was the only employee for my company for over two years. And so I was doing it all and running my own social media, which I had to learn everything I could and trial and test and made a ton of mistakes, but have been able to organically grow the brand on Instagram um, to almost 50,000 followers. Um, we're on TikTok, Pinterest, YouTube, all, all the places. Um, and really built a community around people wanting to know more about the industry and wanting to know more about, you know, ethical sourcing. But the real reason besides, you know, kind of creating a company that is wants to do better is the main reason why I did this was literally product formulation, which is my sort of uh, bread and butter and secret sauce. So I, you know, left to do this because when I was working at Sephora, I was trying all these clean beauty brand formulas. And as a working mom, you know, I was spending a lot of money on this stuff. And if I took the time to put my makeup on, it was like gone two hours later. And so I was like, I know I can formulate better. And our products are rated five stars, even on Sephora.com, which is incredibly hard to do. The average 
conventional makeup brand averages a 4.2. So I really attribute that to sort of growing up my makeup career in Sephora because we used to watch the ratings and reviews like a hawk and nobody holds back in the beauty space. So you sort of immediately know if you have a hit on your hands or if there's something people didn't like, but it really sort of trained you very well to understand what that client is really looking for and to not sort of give up in product development until you get the product right, which being self-funded, I am able to do. I'm able to hold back things until it's up to my standards before I release it. And this whole direct-to-customer versus selling something wholesale to a retailer, you know, Steve Jobs his whole contention was you can't do both. You either have to, you have to pick wholesale or direct to customer. And I think maybe COVID has shot a lot of holes. Sorry, Steve, uh, in this whole concept. (laughs) Can you share with us a little bit more about that and your success in finding your path in both lanes? Yeah, so, you know, not to disagree with Steve Jobs, but, you know, (laughs) Omnichannel is sort of, no matter what point you are with your brand, you're probably going to start either direct to consumer or with retailers, right? But eventually you're going to go into both and be Omni because you're not going to be able to reach all of your clients in one avenue. And when you look at these, you know, traditional direct to consumer brands, you see a lot of them, you know, entering retail and it's because of that reason. So for me, you know, organically last year due to COVID, prior to COVID, I was very retailer heavy because that's what I knew. My split was like 88% wholesale and 12% direct to consumer. But then COVID hit and my direct to consumer drastically increased to over 35% of my sales mm. um, without me doing anything different or adding any additional ad spend um, because I don't have a large ad spend budget because I am still self-funded. So it was super interesting to really, you know, I was very much more accessible on social media at that time and talking more about all these different topics. I actually write a blog on the website too, which drives a ton of traffic to the site about all these different topics. But, you know, a few mom and pops, unfortunately, closed last year. So that had a slight factor to it. But it was really people being attached to, you know, digital all for 2020 that really sort of drove the growth. And now the brand has exploded even more in 2021. We're already over our projections for the year, and it's already April. Um, So very excited for the future for the brand. But it's definitely put sustainability has become way more of a concern for the consumer and really sort of built this conscious consumer sort of sector, which I think had a lot to do with COVID because people were, you know, sitting at home. I mean, we still are like trying to take care of ourselves and like wellness and more aware of what they're putting in and on their body. We're at that midway point. So we're going to take a quick music break. We shall be right back and learn a lot more about Aether Beauty. This is Heartstock. 
listening to Heartstock Radio. I am your host, Carol Murphy. And today we're speaking with Tyla Abbott, and um, she's the founder of Aether Beauty. Hi again, Tyla. Hi, how are you? Thanks again. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, um, we're having a very beautiful sunny day here in Montana. It's been um, like 13 degrees and snowing still, which is normal for spring weather here. So we're all really fatigued <laughs> with the whole winter thing at this point, which is normal. So having said that, um, it was beautiful. I walked outside and I could actually smell green grass. It's, a, it's an aroma that uh, we haven't had for, oh, maybe about six or eight months. But about Aether, I was hoping we could talk a little bit more about your secret sauce, which is the formulations, and also hoping we have some time to talk about your packaging. Yes, of course. What's, what is so special about your formulations? I know you, we, don't, we don't want you to share your you know, secret recipes or anything, but I know that it is uh, something that you've put a lot of love and energy into. Yeah, so all the ingredients for the brand, so we ban over 2,700 ingredients. So something people don't really realize in the U.S. is that um, the FDA banned about 38 ingredients for cosmetics. Um, But the last time they updated that list was in 1938. And since then, there's been over 16,000 ingredients used in the cosmetic industry. And the U.S. is more of this mindset. You have to prove something is unsafe before it's taken out of the market. And the FDA doesn't regulate cosmetics. It's up to brands to self-regulate. And so... In comparison, Canada bans over 500 ingredients. Um, the EU bans over um, 1,300. And so I've constantly obsessively researched ingredients. And so we're constantly adding to the list. But we ban over 2,700. And then we utilize organic fair trade ingredients. Um, and that ingredients that were sourced without forced labor, child labor. So in makeup, the ingredient that makes everything so shiny and sparkly is mica. And that is mined in India and areas around India. And unfortunately, 30% of the world's mica comes from child labor. And so we actually source mica that is mined in the U.S. to ensure that we're not supporting that side of the industry. Um, however, when it comes to the actual formulation and sort of special sauce, we do a really beautiful balance between oils and powders. So it's a blend of organic coconut butter and shea butter and then mixed with powders. So you get this super creamy hybrid that ends up being a powder, but having a really creamy hand feel that almost feels like butter. And when you put it on your skin, it actually stays put and stays all day. So that's sort of the secret sauce is, you know, the sort of blend between the oils and the powders. And what people don't realize too, is that powders have a much longer shelf life. So my powders last three to four years after you open the package versus if you're utilizing like a cream eyeshadow or cream cheek, those have a shelf life of like three to six months. So you're not 
um, throwing products out as much with Aether Beauty. So you're not consuming as much either, um, but then you're not throwing out as much packaging um, as you would with brands that have products with a shorter shelf life. And how about your team? Is there anybody that you'd like to give a, a shout out to or anybody that is really playing a, a big role in your success? Yeah, so um, I'm technically still the only employee for the company. <laughs> I have consultants that I utilize um, for different areas of the business. Um, and for me, you know, really driving the digital side of the space was a space that wasn't my area of expertise and I didn't have experience in. So I use a third-party company called Making Lemonade that has incredible digital experience and has been able to really tackle that missing piece of the company. And so um, I'm such a fan of their work. And what lies ahead? What are you envisioning for the future? Yeah, so we're at this, you know, incredible growth point for Aether Beauty, and we actually have done an equity crowdfunding on the website Republic, and basically, I really wanted to, uh, you know, every business needs money to grow, and for me, working with venture capital um, companies wasn't the right fit. They're much into this whole explosive growth, but grow as fast as you can and sort of pick up the pieces later. And that doesn't really work for what we're building as a sustainable business. And so I really wanted to give the opportunity to people who supported me since day one and clients who have supported me. So anyone can invest in the company as little as like $100. So you don't have to, you know, have deep pockets in order to, you know, support a business and get a return on investment um, with, you know, eventually believing in the business. So that's been incredibly exciting. That's over on Friday. We've raised almost $250,000 that way. So really excited to be able to change the conversation too. So it's not just these larger companies that are able to, you know, be successful, I'm successful, that it's really opening the doors to people who believe in the business will also benefit. And your packaging. Let's talk about that. (laughs) That's pretty exciting too. Yes. So, you know, our infrastructure in the U.S. when it comes to recycling is very complicated and very broken. And I visited a ton of recycling facilities when I was ideating the brand to really understand how it all worked. And I totally thought I knew what I was talking about before I did that. And I completely did not. So um, the packaging is made with FC certified paper, which means it's fair trade, so it doesn't contribute to deforestation. And the inks that are used, even the inks on paper, so paper and aluminum are the most recycled uh, uh, materials in our systems. Um, But just because something is paper doesn't mean it can actually get recycled. So even it comes down to the inks that are used on it. So we use water-based soy inks. Um, We use a biodegradable laminate on it. And then we have aluminum pans, so you can pop out the pans and recycle them separately. But it makes it more digestible for the client to understand what to do because color cosmetics 
are usually very, very complicated and with so many mixed materials from mirrors to magnets, which aren't recyclable elements at all, to these harder plastics, which don't get recycled either. People see the recycle number on their products and think it's recyclable. And the truth is only recycle numbers one and two actually get recycled in our infrastructure. It's just a very nuanced space. Things like black plastic don't get recycled at all because our uh, conveyor belts in our recycling facilities can't read black on black with their sensors. Um, and there's no secondary market for black plastic because it only can make more black plastic. So it's really complicated and it's like Tetris to me trying to figure out you know, what sort of packaging option you can use. So for me, being a product developer, I have about two years of product I developed up my sleeve, but something like the packaging will hold me up more than the formulation because I won't watch something unless there's a sustainable option for the client. So are you plastics free? We're not plastics free. So there's some products you can't get around plastic. So for instance, we have a um, liquid lip. And there's no other, you can't put in aluminum. Um, glass is way less recycled than people realize. Um, glass is only recycled at 30% and it's only clear or clear um, or light colored glass. Even in Tucson here, they don't recycle glass. Like it, it's really interesting. Um, however, the liquid lip that we have is made with 100% recycled ocean plastic. So there's no virgin plastic used whatsoever. And then the other difference is that it's the same material plastic through and through, where normally a liquid lip component is made of different plastics mixed together. And you literally have to sit there and take every little piece apart. But the other thing with recycling is that anything smaller than a credit card doesn't get recycled at all. So it doesn't like all think of all those beauty samples, like all those little minis, like the packaging does not get recycled. Mm. Yes, the the bane of my current existence, uh plastics every everywhere I turn. <laughs> it's exactly. so ubiquitous. And like you said, it's it's complicated and hard to understand. And this whole concept of don't worry about plastic because it's recyclable is a fallacy. So I'm really thrilled to hear that y you have fully grasped and taken on this challenge because it is definitely not easy. So we've got about a minute left and I'm hoping that we can share with our listeners how they might find you, Tyla. Sure. So the website is aetherbeauty.com. So it's spelled A-T-H-R, beauty. And then our Instagram is aetherbeautyco. So that's A-T-H-R, beauty, C-O. Um, we are on TikTok as well at aetherbeauty. We are on Pinterest, YouTube, all the social places. And I'm actually on Clubhouse as well under my name. So that's Tyla, T-I-I-L-A. And I talk a lot on Clubhouse about all these sustainability issues in the beauty industry. Mm. Thank you so much and uh, enjoy that beautiful Tucson desert. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for having me. Mm -hmm. This is Heartstock and we will be back next week. Peace. Sunshine. 
Heartstock Radio is a production of KBMF 102.5 Butte America Radio. Hear our programs every Friday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time via live stream at butteamericaradio.org. As I went walking, I saw a sign there, and on the sign it said, No trespassing, but on